That should be it. Now you can hear me. I want to invite you to go ahead and take your Bibles and and your copy of God's Word and turn there to the book of Titus. And today we start that, that next book study, the final book study in our study through the pastoral epistles. Now in First and Second Timothy, we have seen and studied the responsibilities, the structure, and the ministry that God has given to His church to pass faithfully from one generation to the next. We know and understand that the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tell us and show us that it is our responsibility to pass the gospel from one generation to to the next for there it says go therefore and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and what teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you even to the end of the age as a church we desire to fulfill this this goal we desire to evangelize every single person every man woman boy and girl that we come into contact with with the gospel of jesus christ for those who repent of their sins and place their faith in jesus christ we desire to then teach them disciple them and train them up in the knowledge of jesus christ in the knowledge of his word and understanding how to fulfill god's commands for our daily life then Our desire is to reach out and to make them disciplers as well. Those who would evangelize others that they meet and then make disciples of those who repent and and receive Jesus Christ. And so that should be a never-ending chain. It should be an unbroken chain from Jesus Christ all the way to us to the next generation of passing the gospel along from one generation to the next. And as we come to Titus, we find Paul, the Apostle Paul, a bond slave, a bond servant, a doulos for the Lord. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, taking up pen and writing to a young pastor, a young son in the faith, Titus, and saying, Titus, now I want you to step up in Crete. I want you to carry on the ministry of the gospel. I want you to faithfully pass along what I have faithfully passed to you. And so this letter seems to have been written somewhere in between Paul's first Roman imprisonment and his second and final Roman imprisonment that led to his death. Somewhere between 62 and 64 AD, Paul pens this letter and he writes to the church. And he wants the church to know, he wants the pastor and the people there in the churches of Crete to know Listen, guys, you need to understand this vehemently, that true doctrine and faithful living leads us to be the salt and light of our culture. You need to know and understand that true doctrine, right belief, and and faithful living lead us to be the salt and the light of this world. And so as we come in these moments, we think and remember Jesus' command to His disciples within the Sermon on the Mount, there in Matthew five thirteen through 16, when He looked at the people who were following Him, sitting there hearing the Sermon on the Mount, and He, list, he says, listen guys, I want you to know you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city that is set up upon a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, Paul's letter magnifies the call of our commander and king, King Jesus, to indeed be an illuminating, preserving, and redeeming force within our culture. 
That's the call of Scripture. That God is calling out. He's setting apart a people who are holy for Himself so that they can be an illuminating, uh, a preserving, and a redeeming force within the culture and context in which they live. Will Rogers said it this way. Will Rogers was known for great quips and quotes, and I love this one. He says, listen, you ought to live your life in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell the family parent to the town gossips. You should live your life in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell the family parent to the town gossips. Isn't that a different way of thinking about it? What if the parrot lived in your house and then you sold him to the town of town gossips? Would you be worried about what they would say, about what they would found out, would find out went on within your home? Indeed, we ought to make sure that our private walk always backs up our public proclamation. We ought to make sure that, that Jesus' church in our day and in every day is always testifying of the truthfulness of the gospel and the transforming power it has within the context of our lives. Paul wants to make sure that Jesus' church in his day, in our day, and in every day always are living out a faithful life to the God who has redeemed them. Indeed, there should be no discrepancy between what we say we believe and how we actually behave. Why? Because, listen, the gospel that we preach is not to be contradictory contradicted by the lives that we live the gospel that we preach should not be contradicted by the lives that we live if we want to be a church that impacts our community then indeed we must be a church that practices what we preach and we if we want to be a christian who impacts our culture we must be christians whose proclamation is exacted by our performance we must get it right We must get our relationship to God right, and it must flow and fill and inform every other aspect of our lives. Indeed, as we come today, we're going to be challenged through this study of Titus. We are going to be challenged to understand we must get it right. Because us getting it right allows the gospel to go forward to the next generation. Let's take our Bibles and we're going to read Titus 1, 1 through 4 this morning. But today is going to be a general overview of the book. And then next Sunday we're going to go back in and we're going to dive in and go verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter through the book of Titus. But let's stand today in honor of the reading of this God's holy and inspired word. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, listen to the words of the Lord. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is, according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. But at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have extended to us grace and peace that you are working within the context of our lives to lead us and to guide us to be uh, uh, an illuminating, preserving, 
redeeming force within the culture and context of Goldsboro, North Carolina. Father, may we be faithful to you. And through our faithful lives, may many come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may you, ta- may you, by the work of your Holy Spirit, illuminate this passage to us this morning. Show us our sins. Show us your Savior. And Father, allow us to be conformed to his image so that we might show your glory to the watching world. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in this passage that we are, co- we are given a content and context within this world. We are given within this world a place to minister. And indeed, that is true for each and every Christian in each and every generation. And the reality is this passage says that the truthfulness of God's gospel of salvation is commended or condemned to the culture through the testimony of God's children. That's if you want an overarching theme for all of Titus. There it is right there. Indeed, the truthfulness of God's gospel of salvation is either commended or condemned to the watching world around us through our lives, through our actions, through our attitudes. And so as we come today, understand Paul is giving to this young upstart church, this developing church, some sober advice for practical problems, and we need to learn from it as well. And so we are going to take and break apart this book and walk through it. But as we do, I want you to keep in the back of your mind that the truthfulness of God's gospel of salvation is commended or condemned through the lives that we live before the watching world. Let's begin this morning by looking at the theme and structure of Titus. The theme and structure of Titus. Now, as we begin, I want to ask you, first off, who wrote the book of Titus? Who wrote the book of Titus, youth? Oh, there you go. Why do you say God wrote it? You say God wrote it because God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired the book of Titus to be written. Who wrote the book of Titus? God wrote the book of Titus in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through a man named Paul. And so the Holy Spirit moved Paul to record these words to reveal God's purpose and plan to man. Second Peter chapter one, verses 19 through 21 says this. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, listen, this is how you ought to view scripture. Listen to these next words that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible God wrote the Bible how did he write the Bible through in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through mortal men and so who wrote the Bible God wrote the Bible God spoke it and men wrote it Secondly, not only that, the theme of Titus is inseparable. It's an inseparable link between faith and practice, belief and behavior. You can't divide those in our day, in our time. We try to. We try to say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I just don't live like it right now. I don't feel like it right now. Well, that's not true Christianity. Because there is an inseparable link between your faith and your practice, your belief and your behavior. 
This truth is the basis of Christian living and qualifications uh, basis uh, for this book's critique of false teaching as well as its instruction in Christian living and qualifications for the church's leaders. Listen, if we want to be a redemptive force in our homes, if we want to be a redemptive force in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our cities, in our counties, in our country, and in our world, we must understand that there can be no disconnect between what we say we believe and how we actually behave. Indeed, if we say we have been changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen, we ought to love one another even as Christ has loved the church. Indeed, you cannot say you love God and hate your brother is what we saw in 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. We cannot stand before God and say we love Him and then act like we hate one another. We must seek to live at peace with all people as far as it concerns us. We ought to live under the authorities that God has given within this world, ultimately living under God's authority through the commands of Scripture in the same way that we have been forgiven. We are to extend forgiveness to one another. Indeed, husbands, we are to love our wives even as Christ loved the church. And wives, we are to respect and submit to our husbands even as Christ did to the Father. See, our Christian lives bear the truth of what we believe. And our behavior must always be informed by our belief. Because it is a, there is an inseparable link between our faith and our practice, our belief and our behavior. Now, I want to walk you through seven key themes uh, that are found within the context of the book. First of all, the gospel by its nature produces godliness in the lives of believers. There is indeed no legitimate separation, no legitimate division between belief and behavior for the Christian. We indeed ought to see this and understand that in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. It says, listen, you want to understand something? You need to understand, first of all, the gospel by its nature produces godliness or good works in the lives of believers. Listen, we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Second key theme. One's deeds will either prove or disprove one's claims to know God. Look at verse 16 real quickly. As it begins, it says, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. Did you realize that if you say, I'm a Christian, that doesn't make you a Christian? Do you realize if you walk an aisle, if you pray a prayer, if you stand in a baptismal and get dunked, that doesn't make you a Christian. You are a Christian when the Holy Spirit of God moves you to repentance of sin, to reception of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and it radically changes and transforms your life from that moment forward. And we need to understand that one's deeds either prove or disprove whether we are truly God's children. 
Thirdly, it is vitally important to have godly men serving as elders and pastors. In verses 5 through 9, there in chapter 1, we see that Titus is to carry out and set in order those elders and pastors, those overseers who would guard and guide the church through that culture. And so it is vitally important within the context of the church to have godly men, godly leaders who are leading the church in a godly direction. Fourthly, fourth theme that we see within Titus is that true Christian living will commend the gospel to others. Indeed, chapter 2, verse 10, we see the, the statement made that all good faith, that we are to show all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Our lives are the testimonies, the foundation of our witness. And our goal is not to win people to ourselves, but to win people to our Savior. And so every, for every true Christian, true Christian living will commend the gospel to others that come into contact with us. Fifthly, a fifth theme that we find in Titus is this one. Good works have an important place in the lives of believers. Good works have an important place within the lives of believers. In other words, if I am saved, if I'm practicing and walking with God, then indeed I am going to have good works that fill my life to display that truth to unbelievers. Look in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. For there it says, remind them, being Christians, the church, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. It's very important that we understand there's a direct connection between our good works and the testimony of our lives. And good works are to be extremely important within the lives of Christians. Sixthly, a a sixth theme that is traced through this book is the fact that it is important to deal clearly and firmly with doctrinal and moral error in the church. There in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, we see that it says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. The church is to exercise discipline and make sure and oversight, making sure that those that are within her are living out a faithful life to God. Finally, the seventh truth is found throughout chapter 2. That true Christians will develop other Christians through discipleship relationships. Older women, you take the younger women and you teach them how to be good and godly mothers. Older men, you take the younger men and you teach them how to be good and godly men. How to be contributing parts and members of their church, of their community, and of their culture. If you want another way to organize this, you can follow along this structure. This structure breaks it up according to chapters. And when you think through it and read through the text of Titus in the coming week, I challenge you to think through it in this way. First of all, you need to set in in chapter 1, we find that the church is to set in order godly leaders to lead the church in a godly way for God's good purposes. That's the first chapter. We, We see the theme. We see the structure built around the fact that God is building His church. And that we need good and godly men to lead and to guide and to guard 
God's church, God's church for God's purposes. Secondly, in chapter 2, we find that we are to set in order godly relationships to develop disciples within the church. Indeed, that's the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that we are making disciples, that we're not just learning and living on our own, but we're vitally connected. We're disciples, and as we are devoted disciples, being trained up, being brought along in the faith, now we are reaching out to others and bringing them along in the faith as well. In chapter 3, Paul goes on and says, listen, not only that, but you need to set in order godly lives in every Christian home. Why? In every Christian life so that they can win the community in which they live. So that they can win the lost within the community, within the context that they are planted. So our goal is once again all the way back to square one. We are to evangelize every man, woman, boy, and girl we come into contact with with the truthfulness of the gospel for the purpose that they might repent of sin, receive Jesus Christ, and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. See, God has given us to be salt and light within the context of our culture, in the midst of a culture that is full of moral decay. And we are to be preserving, illuminating, and redeeming forces within our community. Indeed, we ought to take every opportunity to share the gospel and to make known the, the life that God has given us. But we need to be faithful in all ways and understand that in every moment, our attitudes and our actions are called into question as to the truthfulness of what we really believed last week i was coming out of the accountant store and as i was coming out of the accountant store i opened the door wide for a man who was coming in an older gentleman and i opened the door wide and i said come on in the house young fella to which he looked at me somewhere between awe and shock and utter frustration and he looked at me for a moment and you know what he said he looked at me he said you know what nobody comes out of here that happy And I looked at him and I said, you got to understand, Jesus paid the biggest debt I ever owed. I'm free to be happy anytime, anywhere, any place I can because Jesus has taken care of everything that really matters and is important to me. We need to be vibrant witnesses. We need to be those who would go into the community and through our lives, through our attitudes and through our actions, we would lay a foundation, a firm witness of the great and transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Our beliefs are to be grounded in the reality of the gospel revealed in Scripture. Indeed, we are to set our sights on our Savior and not on ourselves and our stuff. Our behavior is always to be informed by our beliefs. And there is to be an inseparable link between faith and practice, belief and behavior. And so we need to get it right. We need to get it right, first of all, in our relationship to God, secondly, in our relationship to one another, and thirdly, in our relationship with the world. So that is the theme. Those are the sort of the structure, the theme and the structure of the book of Titus. But secondly, this morning, let us see the culture's challenge to the Christian. And what is the challenge to the Christian? To put us in a light, to live a life that would not glorify God. Indeed, Paul references a familiar saying there in chapter 1, verse 12. And look at it with me real quick there in verse 12. It says, one of themselves, a prophet of their own. So somebody from Christ said this about everybody from Crete. Listen to what he said. He said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. What a description. 
Now, the first thing that I think of is how in the world am I supposed to take your statement for fact? Because you, in your statement as a Cretan, you are a Cretan and you say, we are always liars, evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Did you notice that? He says about himself he's a liar, so is his treatment, his statement about the culture, true or false? We don't know. I would assume it's true. They're liars. They're evil beasts, and they're pressing upon the church within this culture to give up, to come over, and indeed to to surrender the callings of God and surrender to the sin of this world, to the desires of the flesh. Indeed, the culture always seeks to desensitize Christians to the callings of God and the sin of this world. We are pressed by our culture just like the church in Crete was pressed in Paul's day to willingly accept and embrace things that are contrary to the will and to the Word of God. In Crete, they were pressed to be liars and gluttons and evil beasts. Well, we don't have that problem in America, do we? Sure. Let's think about it just for a moment in just three ways, just three basic areas that I'm going to walk through, first of all. First of all, in, our, in the context of our culture, we are pressed to receive the ways of the world instead of the Word of God and the will of God in the area of homosexuality. Our culture says normalize it, make it just the same as everything else. There's not a problem. You don't need to worry about it, and you don't need to call it sin, and you don't need to deal honestly with it. Indeed, Governor Beverly Purdue this week it gets better she made the statement that despite your personal religious beliefs just throw aside your religious beliefs don't worry about what your religion says don't worry about what the word of god teaches you ought to vote to deny the marriage amendment that is offered on may 8th because we don't want to write into our state constitution discrimination beverly purdue we are not trying to write into our state a discrimination against people we are trying to stand on the biblical principles of what marriage is designed to be. We are trying to be illuminating, redeeming, preserving forces within the context of our culture. We are trying to stand for what biblical marriage is. That's the point. On May 8th, we need to go and we need to cast a vote. But listen, we need to make sure that the gospel is always presented as the good news of God saving sinners of which I am the chief. Don't compromise the gospel, but let us be clear and concise. We do not want to compromise the Bible as the Word of God. And we want to take the preemptive steps to ensure and to ensure that within our culture, our taxpayer dollars do not go to pay for and support something that is a indeed a violation of our religious beliefs. The second area is the area of uh, abortion, the morning after pill, and contraception that would end a viable human life. Indeed, our culture says, well, it's the mother's choice. It's the mother's choice of what she wants to do with her own body. The only problem is the Word of God contradicts that and says it's not actually just the mother's body. This is a, a person. This is a baby. This is a human being that God is forming and fashioning together within the womb of the mother. Indeed, He is skillfully working there in the womb of the mother to cause human life to grow and to, and to flourish. And so we should never take what lightly what God has has given a beautiful place of priority to within, our, within creation. 
He is making, forming, and fashioning beautifully, skillfully within the womb of the mother that human life. And so the, only, the problem with saying, well, it's our right to kill that human baby is the Word of God. And let me extend this just a moment more, just a, a, a step further. Not only should we be standing against abortion, against the morning after pill, which causes the miscarriage of human lives, which is nothing more than abortion. Not only should we be standing against those, those contraceptive measures, which would take a viable human life out of the womb of that mother. We ought to stand against embryonic stem cell research because whether that baby is being formed and fashioned there within the mother's womb or even within in a test tube for implantation it matters not that is still a human soul it is still a human life and we must defend the defenseless we must understand these things through biblical ethics are we to ignore the word of God and the cries of the defenseless while funding through our federal taxpayer dollars and mandated health care plans are promoting the killing of innocent children? Absolutely not, church. We cannot stand by. We must stand up. Thirdly, I want to point out to, to you the hedonism of our culture. The hedonism of our culture. Just turn on primetime TV. Take, take a look at what's on. Actually, don't bother. It's not worth it. The Big Bang Theory. Two and a half men, American Idol, Bachelor, Jersey Shore. Oh, well, these aren't depictions of our culture. Yes, they are. I would love to stand before you and say, these don't depict actually what's going on in our culture. But the reality is, that is our culture. We must stand against it. We must understand that they are showing the drunkenness, the excess, and the debauchery of our culture within America. And we must realize that the hedonism that the world is trying to get us to accept is not consistent with the call of God and the Word of God. Stand up, church, because we must understand if we embrace these things, it leaves us with a church that has compromised its integrity, obfuscated God's commands, and obliterated its impact on the watching world. We may with our mouth say that we love Jesus. We may serve the God, say with our mouth that we serve the God of Scripture, that we worship Him in spirit and in truth before our Creator. But our behavior always tr- betrays our true beliefs. Indeed, we ought to be pressed in chapter 1, verse 16. When, when Paul says they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. Indeed, Paul knew the saving truth of the gospel message falls on deaf ears when those proclaiming it live ungodly lives that show no evidence of salvation or sanctification in the process of becoming like Christ. See, when Christians live in open open, unrepentant sin, they can hardly expect unbelievers to receive a message that claims to save men from their sin. See, if we are called Christians, we must take it seriously. We must not be pressed and conformed by our culture into their image, but we must be pressed into the mold, into the shape of the Word of God, into the image of Jesus Christ our Lord. Yesterday was turkey season. I love turkey season. It is the greatest thing in the world. I sat out there in the middle. I got up, first of all, I got up at 4 o'clock. Does that make sense? 
4 o'clock. I, I couldn't sleep. I was like a little schoolgirl. I mean, I was giggly. I was ready to get out into the woods. And I went out there and I found a great place. And I sat down in the midst of a little thicket so that the turkeys that were coming in wouldn't be able to see me. And I sat there and I sat there and I sat there. And I got some turkeys to start gobbling. And they started coming in. And then God gave me a great opportunity to shoot a turkey. There he was, just 35 yards away. And I sat there and I looked at him and I made sure everything was just right and I pulled the trigger and the moment I pulled the trigger you know what fell on the ground tree limbs and tree leaves and branches and bushes and all kinds of stuff that were between me and him I hadn't taken the time to think about what I was shooting through because I had just become comfortable to it I had become desensitized I didn't realize what exactly was about to happen and the turkey ran off and the trees fell and let me tell you tree doesn't eat nearly as good as turkey The same is true in church. The same is true in church. We become desensitized to the culture. And we can become desensitized to God's commands. But the culture is not to challenge the church to live lives like them. The Christian is to challenge the culture to live lives for Christ. To live lives like Christ. The Christian's challenge to the culture is to show the truthfulness of the gospel by the attitudes and the actions of our lives. The attitudes of our hearts, the actions of our hands, and the words of our mouth display for the watching world whether we are truly redeemed, whether we have been made new. For there in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, we see that the Word of God says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Church, Paul says you and I are to have lives that demonstrate to the culture the transformational power of Jesus Christ. For indeed, at conversion, God gives us a new heart, a new life, and a new start. In our baptism, we tell the world that we have identified with Jesus Christ, that we have surrendered to Him. And so we are buried in the likeness of His his death and raised again in newness of life. In our celebration of communion, we show and share the gospel that it is the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary. It is the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for our sins that gives us the new heart, the new life, and the new start that we need to face this world. Indeed, God can change the heart and the, and redeem even the hardest heart, the most wicked witch, and the most vile vagrant among us. Communist agitator one day in the midst of a gathering of people looked and pointed at a drunk down the street and he said, listen, communism can put a new man, a new suit on that man. A Christian in the crowd cried back, ah yes, but Christianity can put a new man in the suit. And that's the difference. 
God can change everything. He can make you new. God is able to save and to sustain you. Let me ask you this morning, do you struggle with sin? Are you dealing with the being pressed in to the conformity of our culture? Are you being pressed to walk in the ways of the world and not the ways of the Word? Then let me ask you today, come and surrender yourself to Jesus Christ and let Him put within you the Holy Spirit who will clean you up, wash you and make you whiter than snow, who will conform you to the image of of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You've beaten down, you've pressed down. Turn to Christ. Live a life of faithful obedience. Let the beliefs that flow from the Word of God and Scripture guide and guard you in how you behave in the course of your daily life. Listen, the Gospel is not the story of you fighting for salvation from sin. The gospel is the story of fighting from victory, fighting from victory because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was hung on a cross. He was crucified as a common criminal so that the penalty and the power of sin might be broken in your life and in my life so that we might be made new and might be made into children and sons and daughters of the Most High. 2,000 years ago, that dead man crucified on that cross as a common criminal stepped out of the grave in glorious victory over sin, death, and hell. He emerged the victor of a vast people of all of those who would repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ. Today is your opportunity to identify with Him, to give your heart, to give your life to Him, and then to live faithfully from that moment on and forevermore. Father, as we come to this time of decision, lead us and guide us. Father, touch our hearts, prick our hearts, and allow us in the midst of this time. Father, to celebrate the life that you have given. Father, may you, in these moments, allow us to see the cross, the body, and the blood of our Lord and surrender fully so that you might make us servants that would proclaim your message of redemption to all those within our culture and our community. Father, make us illuminating, preserving, redeeming elements within our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing our hymn of invitation.